So on the radio the other day, I heard this story about a little girl who was caught by her grandmother breaking into her piggy bank. And her grandma asked her, what, what do you need the money for? What, do you, what are you up to? And she said, well, I have a friend at kindergarten that didn't have money for milk. And I want to make sure that she can have some. And so this one sweet little girl's um, act of kindness then rolled into a GoFundMe page. And so now that, in that little girl's school district, every single child has milk money. All from one little girl, one, one five-year-old girl. And I think, oh my goodness. God can work in such amazing ways through one person. Just think, if the church is a body, we all had that heart of kindness and generosity. What wonders God could work through us. We've been looking at Paul's teaching on Christian generosity in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. And I have to confess, I thought of myself as a somewhat generous person. (laughs) But now after reading all of this, not so much. (laughs) Lots of growing to do at this point. And so tonight we will, we'll kind of jump through some some of my favorite (laughs) truths from chapters 9 and 10. So we'll begin with looking at how God's grace inspires generosity. And first of all, I want to look at the significance of the Jerusalem collection. Paul gathered and delivered support for the church in Jerusalem for 10 years. There was a famine there in the mid to late 40s. And we all know the church in Jerusalem was the mother church, right? That's where it all began. And there they were experiencing food shortages and high taxation and overpopulation and persecution. Many there were in need of just the basic necessities. And Paul knew that the church church is, the churches of Jesus Christ were to be interdependent. If they saw that an, there was another part of the body that had a need, that they were to care for one another and support each other. So the Corinthians had committed to contribute to this collection, yet Paul's opponents questioned the legitimacy of it. And then they sought to have that money be given to them themselves. On his visit, Titus had reminded the Corinthians of the, the ongoing need in Jerusalem, yet it seems they had failed to continue to set aside funds each week as they had been taught in the letter um, the letter of 1 Corinthians. So Paul here challenges the Corinthians to follow through on their previous pledge. And he is following through, as Kelly mentioned in her teaching last week, on the instruction that he'd been given when he was commissioned as an apostle to remember the poor. Now, if you have time to go back and reflect on Paul's commissioning. I encourage you to read Acts 15 and then Galatians 2, 1 to 10. Paul was endorsed and commissioned by the Jerusalem Council as the apostle to the Gentiles, and Peter was commissioned as the apostle to the Jews. This was a very significant moment in the history of the early church. The message was proclaimed loud and clear that Throughout time beforehand, Jews had separated themselves, hadn't they? But 
they were now to live as brothers and sisters with the Gentiles. And there was an official letter that was sent out to all the churches, especially highlighting that the Gentiles did not have to be circumcised. And this was an ongoing problem for a long time, trying to get the Jews and the Gentiles to live together and care for one another well. Paul highlights the importance of this in Galatians 3.28, where he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is um, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So there was to be unity in the church as a whole. There was to be no division between the congregations based on ethnicity. And as they care for one another, their fellowship is to be, would be strengthened. Now, I just, knowing that Paul was committed to this collection for over 10 years just gives, makes it very, very clear that his priorities of remembering the poor and developing unity throughout the whole early church. Now, I have to say here, um, we, if you attend this church <laughs> or live in this area, we come to church on Sunday morning, and I look around, and the majority are Caucasian, right? And I think this is just a good reminder to us that we have many brothers and sisters in Christ that, that look different from us, but we are to care for one another, and we are to be a unified body in Christ. I love that there's an event actually coming up this Saturday morning. Pastor Jeff has some develop, developed some friendships with other pastors in our area. And so there's an event that's called United Through Prayer that will take place at 9 o'clock on Saturday morning at the Mill Creek campus. And it's encouraging people from different congregations in our area to come and gather to pray together. It's beautiful. And then it, let's look at verses 8 through 11 of chapter 9, some familiar verses here, and look at Paul is giving this call to a lifestyle of generosity. Chapter 9, beginning with verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Many of you have probably memorized verse 8. And I've kind of outlined it there, showing its chiastic structure. So it goes like this. And God is able to make all grace, which speaks of all kinds of grace, abound to you. That's a super abundance of grace. So that in all things, which speaks of in every circumstance, at all times, which reminds us that God's resources don't ever change with our circumstances. <laughs> There's always an abundance <laughs> that he has. Always, always, always. And then it says, having everything you need. Notice it does not say having everything you want. 
It's speaking of sufficiency and even contentment here. And I think of Paul. He was content to be a poor tent maker. I don't think he was focusing on what he wanted. He was focusing on proclaiming the gospel and serving the church. And then it goes on to say, so that you may abound in every good work. So it, it does not say that there's this superabundance given to you just so you can enjoy it all yourself, right? It's so that you can abound in every good work. Once again, Paul, in contrast to the philosophers of his day, who sought to be strong and self-sufficient, Paul knows that he must depend on God. And I love in verse 10 that talks about how God provides seed for the farmer, the seed to be sown. And then he sends the rain, right? <laughs> and through the harvest of grain that he produces, that he miraculously takes the seed and makes it grow into the grain, provides food, bread for food. And then he even provides for the future because from that harvest are seeds that will be, then be sown in the following year. And God supplies and he multiplies the seed and increases the harvest of righteousness. It's all God <laughs> from beginning to end. And it's this picture that the farmer is completely dependent on God. We go to the grocery store. We don't, <laughs> we don't live like farmers do, right? And we lose sight of this. Paul is echoing here Hosea 10, 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. I loved when I was teaching yesterday morning, it was pouring down rain when I was teaching on this. And so we're getting this picture here that sowing in generosity is sowing in righteousness. And we can do just our small part. Offer what we've been given, and God can multiply it and work wonders through the small offerings that we bring. In verse 11, it says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Paul is making it clear that the gospel is the story of God's generosity. Jesus did not hold on to or grasp his position of honor and power, but lowered himself to become human, a servant, and dying the most shameful death on a cross. He poured himself out completely out of love for sinners, out of love for you and for me. And he makes poor sinners rich in grace. And then those that receive God's grace are transformed by it. They are no longer selfish, but pour out their lives for the sake of Christ. So we learn that true generosity is not just giving, but it's self-emptying. It's pouring out your heart, your life, your time, your gifts, your money, because you realize that it's not yours anyway. Your heart is his. Your life is his. Your time is his. Your gifts are his. Your money is his. 
And when you experience the abounding grace of God, when you are swimming in it, you can't help but give your life away. And you begin to live more for others than for yourself. So Christians reflect the heart of God by giving willingly, generously, and cheerfully, not just to the church and to missions, but also to the poor. We are to give without holding anything back, not thinking about how much we can keep or grasp or hold on to. And compassionate giving reflects God's righteousness, his heart for setting things right in the world. See, Paul knew that caring for the poor had always been God's way. Look at this text in Deuteronomy fifteen seventeen. God's commands to his old covenant people, Israel. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend to him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Sometimes we hear today, oh, we give, and then God will give back to us. That is not true generosity. We don't give because we want to get something back from God. We give, and then he gives us more so that we can give more. And when we do give, we're not just throwing money away. We are planting seeds. We're building God's kingdom. And then if we look at verses 11 to 15, we see how this cycle of grace happens. When generosity takes place, we see how the giver, the recipient, the church, and God are all blessed. And so I found this picture of the Buckingham Fountain in downtown Chicago that I think gives this picture. God is, is the fountain, right? It's ever flowing, ever flowing. And because we are his, our cup is always full. We're always living in the abundance of his grace and his blessings, his provision. And we abound, are to abound in every good work. And then what happens is then the glory goes back up to God, where it all comes from in the first place. And what I love about this picture is all the little, the smaller fountains that are squirting back up. And I think that's the praise and the blessing that has to go back up to God, the thanksgiving, because it's all him all the time. I had the opportunity to hear briefly from a missionary from Turkey that was at our church this last weekend, and he was thanking our congregation for our generosity to his work in Turkey and talking about in one of the most difficult countries on the planet to be a Christian. There are so few there. How he said, it's not heard in the news, but the church is growing there. And the only result is that you want to praise God, and then you just want to give more, and it's just the cycle that's supposed to go on and on and on. What a beautiful thing. And then we also have to be sure to look at verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Jesus Christ. That word, inexpressible, it's the only time that word is used in the New Testament. 
And it seems fitting because it's speaking of Jesus. He is the only gift that is so wonderful that it's unspeakable. Something we can't even describe. And the gift that God gives in sending his only son is the gift that sets all other gifts in motion. And Christ himself is the ultimate example of self-emptying and sacrificial giving. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, puts it this way. Christ gave up all his treasure in heaven to make you his treasure. And when you see him dying to make you his treasure, that will make him yours. Money will cease to be the currency of your significance and security, and you will want to bless others with what you have. And I've included this line in your notes page. To the degree that you grasp the gospel, money will have no dominion over you. In our culture today, we're told that we should earn as much as we can and save up and plan for the future. We are encouraged to focus on our own comfort. As Christians, we are to be good stewards. And yes, plan wisely. But we are to offer what God has given to us to build his kingdom, not our own. So the questions I have for you here, are you living a life that overflows with generosity? And how are you sowing seeds of generosity and building God's kingdom? And then let's jump into chapter 10 and look at Paul. Once again, as Christ's true apostle, we see there's a transition here in the letter because now Paul is going to address the false teachers that have moved into the Corinthian church in his absence. He becomes bold. I'm, I would even say he's a bit sassy here. <laughs> he's, he's kind of sarcastic much of the time in this chapter. And it's all because he's got his gander up because he wants, it's the gospel that's at stake here. So he's going to be bold. He speaks of pleading with the Corinthians in, in the gentleness and meekness of Christ. And I would say that he's just continuing in the way of Christ that we've seen throughout all that he's proclaimed and, and the example that we've seen in him throughout the whole letter. We know that he's seeking to be the aroma of Christ. We know that he's compelled by Christ's love. We know that he's willing to suffer for the gospel and for Christ's sake. So he's just continuing and following the way of Christ. Now, Paul's opponents appear to be itinerant Jew Jewish Christian preachers who moved into the Corinthian church and then claim credit for his work. They criticized him for refusing financial support from his churches, for not carrying the appropriate letters of recommendation that were common in this time, for being unsuccessful in reaching his own people, and for being an unimpressive speaker. Paul's, these enemies were boastful, and they dismissed Paul's authority because he didn't display their worldly values. They flaunted their achievements, and they claimed that they had a superior heritage to Paul's and boasted of greater spirituality and speaking skills. They exalted themselves, not Christ. They saw Paul as poor and weak and spiritually deficient. 
And so we're finding that many of the Corinthians had mistaken Paul's meekness for weakness. We know that many in the Corinthian church were struggling to leave behind the priorities of their culture. They were often tolerant of sin, proud, self-absorbed, materialistic, self-promoting, and they thought that Paul should be impressive and flashy and display wonderful outward spiritual expressions. But Paul's authority is revealed in his humility and his character, his allegiance to Christ and his gospel. We're seeing ever so clearly how he's being conformed more and more to Christ's character, looking more more and more like Jesus, and how he's willing to participate in Christ's sufferings. So everything is upside down, right, from the priorities of the world. But what convicts me more and more and more as I've been reading through 2 Corinthians is how Paul's message and his life are just one and the same. And I think, oh, dear Lord, I'm teaching about generosity, and I was not generous with one of my children this morning. You know, just I need to be quiet (laughs) and just seek to live in the spirit and and live for others and not myself. And it's just this ongoing process. But I love Paul's example. So the question I have here, have we as a church taken in the values of our culture or are we continuing in the way of Christ? Do we look more like Americans than Christians? And then we have these few familiar verses, especially verses 5 and 6, where Paul talks about having the power to demolish strongholds. And then he goes on to say that he uses authority, his authority to build people up. So he's tearing down any of the arguments and the philosophies that we ha- would be held up against the gospel and seeking to edify the people in the church. I love this picture here. I think he's got it right. So Paul is wanting to take his opponent's thoughts captive so that they would obey Christ. He wants to demolish their worldview and their worldly wisdom and ways. And I think what he's talking about here is echoing on the section in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, through chapter 2 and all the way to the end of chapter 2, where he's talking about the gospel versus worldly wisdom. You can go back and read that, make that connection. But I would say, just like back then in Corinth, right here in Geneva, right here throughout our country, there are many philosophies that are raised up against the gospel of Jesus Christ. The prosperity gospel. You can have your best life now. Just name it and claim it. And this false teaching, this value of tolerance, that it's all grace and absolutely no truth. So anything goes. And you can turn on your TV instead of going to church on Sunday morning and have spiritual teaching from Miss Oprah. And she is taking little bits and pieces from all different religions and gathering them together and creating her own faith. And I would say that she's got many followers, many that are seeking to learn from her. 
And so the question here is, are we upholding the gospel and casting down, demolishing worldly wisdom? And then let's just finish up here, looking at the end of chapter 10, where we see Paul fulfilling his apostolic mission. Let's read um, verses 13 to 18 of chapter 10. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So I've mentioned that Paul's opponents had come in to the church and claimed it as their own ministry. They've appointed themselves as apostles, and they are trying to snatch for themselves a gift that God has not given to them. They compare themselves with one another in order to elevate themselves. Now, I think of it this way. Little example here. And I have to confess first, I'm not a good gardener. I say that I have a black thumb. And much to my mother and grandmother's chagrin, because they're both wonderful gardeners. But um, this summer, I had to call up my friend who is a good gardener and say, I've got something in my gro- growing in my garden, and I'm not sure if it's a plant or a weed. What do I do? And she said, well, if you like it, keep it. If you don't like it, pull it. And I thought, okay, I can do that. This I'm learning, right? So, but when you think of the definition of a weed, it's a plant that grows in a place where it is not wanted. And this is what I think of these super apostles. They've planted themselves in a field that is not their own. We know from the very first phrases in this letter in chapter 1, verse 1, that Paul is an apostle by the will of God. The Lord has chosen him and commended him. And we have the story of his, his commissioning um, by Christ through Ananias. Remember, Ananias was terrified of Saul, and he had, the Lord came to him in a vision and said, oh, you have to go meet him. And Ananias was thinking, oh my goodness, I really don't want to do this. But he was obedient, and he went. And we find... In Acts 9, verses 15 and 16, the Lord speaking to Ananias, saying, Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So we know that he was appointed and sent out by the Lord Jesus himself. And he was also commissioned, as I mentioned before, by the Apostolic Council in Jerusalem. And his mission field reaches from Cilicia in the east all the way to Spain in the west. And isn't it interesting that Corinth stands right in the middle at the crossroads here? In the the middle of this vast mission field that God has given to Paul. And it's as if he's saying, I don't think I'm going to worry so much about arguing about 
this church. He knows the plan that God has for him. And he's saying, I want to move on. Yes, I will. I will oppose these false teachers. But I've got my sight still set on the mission that God gave to me from the beginning, that it's to the Gentiles. And my heart is to go on to Spain, to continue to proclaim the gospel to those that haven't heard it yet. And once again, we just see Paul's great example. Despite great difficulties and opposition and difficult people, <laughs> he perseveres in serving and proclaiming Christ, and he does not turn aside from his God-given mission. Can I bl- be blunt with you here, ladies? Stop looking at other people's gifts and callings. You do you by God's grace. You're the only one that can build God's kingdom in the place that God has for you with the time that he's given you and the gifts that you have. Be faithful to do your part and cheer on your brothers and sisters in Christ and their gifts and callings. Let's not be like these super apostles. We are to be brothers and sisters that build one another up and build God's kingdom together. So the question I have for you is, are you fulfilling the calling that God has given to you? And then one final word. There will be difficult situations and difficult people that will tempt you to quit. I know. I've been there. I think, I don't know if I can get back up there and go teach again, Lord. would encourage you. Keep on keeping on. Don't quit. Keep following the Lord and fulfilling the calling that he has for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your grace would be more and more at home in our hearts and so that we would just abound in generosity and that we would be faithful to care for those around us. That we would know that as we proclaim the gospel like Paul did, that how could we just walk by those that are needy, that that those things, being generous and proclaiming the gospel go hand in hand. So would we be people are generous generous in so many ways, not just with our money, but with our lives. And would you help us to fulfill the calling that you give to us? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.